Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Bring spring color inside this season with Bear Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bear exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bear Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Honestly, I just had a hard time watching him at the end of his career. It just looked painful to be Shaq lumbering up and down the NBA court at that age. Welcome to One Day University. Talks with the world's most engaging and inspiring professors discussing their most popular courses. This podcast is your chance to discover some of our top-rated lectures on your own schedule. I'm Stephen Shragas. Spring is a great time for sports in America. The 2023 Major League Baseball season has officially kicked off. The NBA and NHL playoffs are just around the corner. And the upcoming NFL draft will give us a sneak peek of the league's next generation of superstars. But while new players are just joining the world of professional sports, others have stayed way past their prime. Why do so many athletes refuse to retire? Professor Matthew Andrews talked about this phenomenon in a lecture for One Day University. It's called One Season Too Many, Superstar Athletes Who Stayed Too Long. Matt teaches American history at the University of North Carolina. His courses dive into American sports and explore issues like race relations and the American identity. Matt knew I had one specific athlete in mind, by the way, when I asked him to come up with this list. So you asked me to give this lecture on athletes who stayed around one season too many. And Stephen, I instantly thought, oh, this is because Tom Brady is suffering. Tom Brady is having a tough time to be a New York Jets fan, is to be a long-suffering New York Jets fan and to lose at the hands of Brady over and over. So I immediately figured this was you with glee rubbing your hands together and saying, I'm going to have Matt you know, dance on the grave of Tom Brady, metaphorically speaking. And now I'll give you a chance to to gloat and dance metaphorically on Tom Brady's grave if you'd like, because he did very poorly in the playoffs in his NFL career. So he says is over. I, I think, I think it is over and he ended by going down in flames. So I'm, I'm one happy Jets fan. 
So Matt, tell me, what criteria did you use to go through the array of athletes and who you were going to focus on? Yeah, criteria, let's use that word loosely. This was bad science. It was the epitome of unscientificness. You know, there was no calculus. I, you know, th- there are number crunchers out there who will look at players and they can, they can prove to us that these players stayed around one season too long because of, of uh, how their performance waned on the field. I tried to think of athletes who suffered either a uh, precipitous drop in, in quality of play I try to think of athletes who I suppose were were kept around or who or who stayed around themselves because they brought name recognition to a team. They knew that fans would come and see them because of their name and click the turnstiles. For me, the obvious answer was who are the athletes who damaged themselves? Who are the athletes who damaged their bodies by playing way after they should have? You know, is it athletes who tarnished their reputation? Who are the athletes who are our idols and we had to watch them struggle at the time? That's how I thought about this. We might as well start with what was at least once America's pastime and some names everyone's going to recognize. Tell us a little bit about how Babe Ruth and Willie Mays fit into this concept. When we think of Babe Ruth, when we think of Willie Mays, you know, we don't think of Babe Ruth with the Boston Braves. We don't think of Willie Mays with the New York Mets, or at least I don't. I think of him, you know, catching Vic Wirtz's fly ball in the polo grounds in 1954. But there are two examples of two all-time American greats, of certainly baseball greats, arguably the two best players in the history of the game. I think inarguably Babe Ruth is the greatest player in the history of the game. I and mean, you could make a pretty strong argument for, for Willie Mays being, being second. But, you know, when you think about Babe Ruth, you think about the New York Yankees. The New York Yankees got a little bit tired, a little tired of Babe Ruth. He wanted to stick around and become a manager of the Yankees and the Yankees ownership didn't want that to happen. So he went to the Boston Braves and really he went to the Boston Braves less to be a player. He was hoping to one day become manager. And in his final season, the greatest baseball player of all time hit a very meager 181. He had that one final moment of glory. In May of 1935, he hit three home runs in one game, the first fair ball out of Forbes Field, or at least that's what they said. That gave him the number 714. But after that, he was hitless for the rest of his career. So the Bambino, the Sultan of Swat, the Caliph of Clout, you know, he went out with a whimper. And then Willie Mays. I was four years old when Willie Mays was playing baseball in 1972 and then five in 1973. Willie Mays is a giant, right? He's a New York giant. He's a San Francisco giant, one of the best defensive and offensive players we've we've ever seen. And then the Giants got a little tired of him, but they wanted to give Willie one last hurrah. So they sent him back to the Mets, sent him back to New York City, where he had made a name for himself. Willie Mays was feted as a Met. There's this semi-annoying habit of granting all-star berths to fading legends for sentiment's sake. It's a nice gesture, but totally unfair to more deserving players. And Willie Mays was a National League all-star in 1973, but he hit 211. And there's that famous image of him on his knees in the World Series, begging the umpire for a call. We misinterpret that, that image usually. But I think they're both great examples of supreme athletes who deteriorated rapidly at the end of their career. Um, And I think it was hard for baseball fans to to see that. Let's do football, because you also had two two football names that some of the story is similar, some of it is different. Johnny Unitas, and honestly, my personal favorite, Joe Namath. 
You know, there were a lot of football names that I could have picked. And in retrospect, I've been thinking about this. You know, for example, there's Mike Webster of the Pittsburgh Steelers, the great center who then ended his career on the Kansas City Chiefs and had so much And this. Now we're getting serious here, had so much head trauma from his years playing offensive line. He suffered deep depression. He was homeless at the end of his life. I mean, so I certainly could have talked about him when I was Talking to friends about names of football players, a lot of them said, what about Jerry Rice? To which I said, you shut your mouth right now. Jerry Rice is the greatest football player of all time and my personal idol as a 49er fan. So I don't even want to go there. Yeah, so I went with two guys, Johnny Unitas with his militaristic crew cut and black high top shoes. You know, he was the archetype of the of the modern NFL quarterback. And I grew up a San Francisco 49ers fan idolizing Joe Montana. And Johnny Unitas was the guy they always mentioned whenever people talked about how great Montana was. Yes, but is he as good as Unitas? Unitas was tough. He started 92 consecutive games at one point in his career, which is remarkable when you consider as opposed to Tom Brady, you were allowed to actually touch the quarterback uh, back in the 1950s and the 60s and, and, and the 1970s. And then the Colts got tired of him, the Baltimore Colts tired of him, and then he was traded to the San Diego Chargers. And it wasn't just that he played poorly. He played very poorly. You know, in his first game on the Chargers, he threw for 55 yards with three interceptions. He was sacked eight times. You know, he clearly was a shell of himself. But there's something about seeing Johnny Unitas in that powder blue and yellow of the San Diego Chargers that just did not compute. I'm not sure there's a more glaringly incongruous vision in all of sports than Johnny Unitas in that Chargers uniform. I said maybe Willie Mays in the Mets uniform, but at least that said New York in the front sometime. So Unitas had nothing left in the tank. He was nearly immobile. He was benched in the fourth game of the season. And that was that. So this legend just once again goes out with a whimper. Okay, Matt, can you tell us about Joe Namath? who really is my all-time favorite athlete. Yeah, I want to have a conversation about Namath. I think you can make the argument, Stephen, that his first season in the NFL was one season too many for Joe Namath for the following fact. His knees were shot. His knees were already severely damaged when he entered the NFL. You know, he tore his knees up at Alabama. There's a famous story that when he was introduced to the New York press and, and the New York sports writer said, you know, you've got this huge contract and suppose you don't make it. And we got a sense of Broadway Joe right then when he just smiled and looked at the reporter and said, I'll make it. You know, Joe, Joe Namath did not lack for, for self-confidence. But on that day, the Jets team doctor took him into a bathroom stall and asked him to pull down his pants so he could look at his knees. And the doctor later said he was shocked. He said he had the knees of a 70-year-old man. He had had so little cartilage in his knees that he predicted Joe Namath was going to last two years, two years tops. Of course, Joe Namath lasted more than that. I think it's, it's actually his ability to play through incredible pain. That's one of the things that in, endeared people to him, you know, people wanted to dislike him because of his long hair and his cocky attitude and his white cleats. You can say all those things about him, but that guy played through pain. Is that how you think of Joe Namath? Well, it's funny you're asking me because this is the one area I'm I can actually converse with you at least close to your level because he was my favorite player and I've read mm -hmm. plenty of books about Joe Namath and followed him. And here's my take on it. The too much 
might have been what happened after 1969. Joe Namath, as you know, won the Super Bowl. He had perhaps the greatest moment in NFL football, and pretty much everyone remembers it. It changed things. Every day for the rest of his life, all anyone wanted to talk about was that day, that game. He reached the highest possible level on one special day, January 12th, 1969. Joe Namath, boy, his last season, and as Yogi Berra said, you can look it up. I looked it up. That 1977 season was miserable on the Rams. In his last game, I think it's absolutely fitting. Broadway Joe ended under the bright lights of Monday Night Football. Lost to the Chicago Bears at Soldiers Field. Here are his stats. He was 16 of 40, 203 yards, no touchdowns, four interceptions. That's Joe Namath at the end of his career. Well, I got to tell you, just just the thought of Joe Namath on the Rams makes me want to move on to another sport. (laughs) All right, let's do it. Basketball. You chose Shaquille O'Neal to talk about. And you also pointed out his reason to continue playing, maybe a little different. Why don't you tell us more about that, Matt? Well, the choice of Shaq was based on the comments that I received from people, most of them nice, but a few of them questioning my my choices. And Shaq was the one that a lot of people were upset with. The thing with Shaq is this, when you are that big, your growing deficiencies are that much more obvious. Look at photographs of Shaquille. Well, look at photographs of any of us in our 20s and then later in our late late 30s or our 40s, and there's a stark difference. But look at photographs of Shaq when he came into the league. Compared to at the end of his career, I asked people mental trivia question, who did Shaq end his career with? And there were so many teams. It turns out it was the Boston Celtics. And in that last year with the Celtics, He only played in 37 games. He didn't even average double digits. You know, a seven foot two, 335 player couldn't score 10 points a game. At his peak, Shaq may have been the most dominant physical force the game had ever seen. Will Chamberlain is the only other person we would put in that conversation, but Shaq is in the conversation. I was speculating a little bit about why he stuck around. Shaquille O'Neal had spending habits that were as large as he was. He spent millions of dollars in a couple of days when he became a Los Angeles Laker, buying multiple Rolls Royces, buying houses. When I think of the great centers in in basketball history, I think all of them kind of went out on top, pretty close to the peak of their powers. Bill Russell, you know, leading the Celtics to their 11th title in 13 years. Will Chamberlain, who in fact went on to be an astounding beach volleyball player in retirement. Even Kareem's last year playing for the Lakers when he was 41. He was durable. He was dependable. That skyhook of his just seemed to be ageless. Shaq just did not live up to those lofty examples. He was big and lumbering. And honestly, I just had a hard time watching him at the end of his career. It just looked painful to be Shaq lumbering up and down the NBA court at that age. After the break, Matt tells the story of two boxers that hung in the ring for too long and how Serena Williams broke the mold with her retirement. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury 
the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Now that spring is here, it's time to focus on self-care and revitalize your personal care routine. Now through March 26, head in store, shop for all your favorite personal care essentials and earn four times rewards points. Shop for items like Crest toothpaste, secret deodorant, Old Spice deodorant, or Gillette razors. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details. Boxing. Two names, Joe Lewis and Muhammad Ali. Tell us a little about them. Yeah, well, Stephen, this is the one where, uh, like when I was saying with with Mike Webster in in football, I think it gets difficult. It gets uncomfortable. I'm still drawn to the sport, like a moth to a flame. I am drawn to the sport of boxing, even though I shouldn't be. And when you stick around too long in boxing, as opposed to Willie Mays and Babe Ruth, you get hurt you get damaged. So it, it's just different in boxing. Joe Lewis, one of the most beloved athletes in 20th century American history, probably the most beloved athlete among African Americans in the 20th century because of the way he very silently and powerfully did battle with, with the racist ideas that, that were out there. Joe Lewis stuck around way too long. One of the reasons that, that he did so is that uh, some people... The, the people who have looked at this closely say he was mistreated by the IRS. He had raised money during the war effort. He had donated money during World War II to the American government, but he was still taxed on a lot of this money. His white managers took money from him. And so Joe Lewis fought way longer than he ever should have. You know, he became heavyweight champion of the world in 1937. He lost that title in 1940. 50, 13 years later, he never should have been been fighting then. He lost the title to, to Ezra Charles. And then still in debt, Joe Lewis kept at it. In 1951, when he was 37 years old, he was destroyed in the ring by the new champion, Rocky Marciano. And Marciano openly wept after the fight. Joe Lewis had been his idol. And then it just became so sad at the end. He couldn't 
justify being in the boxing ring anymore. So he turned to the theatrical sport of professional wrestling. And he was flabby and he was out of shape, but he needed the money. And he got hurt wrestling in his final match in 1956. Someone jumped on him and broke three of Joe Lewis's ribs, gave him a cardiac contusion. Making matters worse, the match was held in Florida in an arena that was totally segregated and did not allow black spectators. So it was a really, uh, a very, very sad end for Joe Lewis. And then Ali fought way too long. Ali should have retired in 1977 when he lost and then rewon the heavyweight championship to, to Leon Spinks. One of the few Ali fights I remember was watching him against Larry Holmes. And well, by the end of the bout, Muhammad Ali couldn't lift his hands up uh, above his waist. He was so tired. In the end, because, well, is it because he needed the money or is it because he just loved the limelight? Is it because he feel like he was owed the four years that he lost when his boxing title was stripped for refusing induction into the armed services in the mid-1960s? I'm not really sure. But he fought 61 times. He endured thousands of blows to the head at the end of his career. And then we saw how it ended. In 1984, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's syndrome. The disease stripped Ali of his ability to speak and be heard. I'm not sure there was a sadder, well, it was both kind of sad and uplifting when he lit that torch at the at the Summer Olympics in 1996. But seeing the incredibly articulate athlete that he once was being more or less silenced at the end of his life from all of the damage he received in the ring, those are the two that really stood out to me. Now, Matt, many say you are the foremost sports professor in the United States. So I'm going to make a guess. You know there's another sport called hockey. <laughs> so throw them a bone, would you? Sure, absolutely. Give us at least a minute on a hockey player. A few names come to mind. Eric Lindros stuck around too long because of all of the damage he was doing to his head. Multiple concussions for the once great Eric Lindros. Martin Brodeur, he's on the short list of greatest goalies ever, along with Patrick Waugh and Jacques Plante. Brodeur, he ended his beautiful career by appearing in just seven games for the St. Louis Blues. Um, and he was terrible. He was awful. And he re retired mid-season. So just if he just could have ended as a New Jersey Devil, I don't think he would be on this list. And then how about this guy, Chris Chelios? Chris Chelios, who had a remarkable career, uh, certainly with the Detroit Red Wings. Chris Chelios, who's obviously a sports junkie. You know, he tried to make the, the U.S. bobsled team for the Winter Olympics one year. Chris Chelios was playing minor league hockey at one point in his late 40s. He was, seemed so addicted to the sport. But go Google Chris Chelios, Atlanta Thrashers. The image of, of Chelios in that Thrashers blue. He played seven games for them at age 48. Some people say it was a publicity stunt for the Thrashers trying to bring people into the stands. If it was a publicity stunt, it was a bad one. And it was a blight on an otherwise sterling career, I would argue. There we go. How about those names? That was pretty good. You do know about hockey. So I'm going to push you a little more. Few people asked about golf, but then it occurred to me, let's see what you think of this. Golf's a little different because players go to a certain age. Obviously, they lose some of their skills at that age, but then there's another league for them. They can keep playing 
against people their own age, not against 25-year-olds. That's a phenomenon that doesn't exist in any other major sport. So it sort of changes the equation of playing too long. On the other hand, there may be players who lost their skills regardless of age and shouldn't have kept teeing it up. Any thoughts on that? Well, my first thought is you're right. Golf is different. Golf is not boxing. That's for sure. <laughs> so I actually don't have any problem with golfers sticking around as long as they can. I remember when Jack Nicholas won the Masters in 1986, Stephen. He was 46 years old, and it was just such a great moment. And they went bonkers for him at, at Augusta. And, and 46 seems quite plausible now. But back then in 1986, that was shocking. There were people who were telling Jack Nicholas he was playing one season too many, that he was sticking around too long. And we would have been denied that amazing moment of him winning. People say Arnold Palmer stuck around too long. But boy, my grandparents, who were card-carrying members of Arnie's Army, they didn't think he stuck around too long. They went down and watched him play at Pebble Beach every, every, every year. They wanted to see him keep on going. And of course, Arnold Palmer was able to monetize that longevity. So yeah, I think golf is different. You don't get hurt playing golf. So I personally have a hard time thinking any of these guys stuck around too long. One more question then. We're going to close with a sport I know you're interested in, tennis and Serena Williams. Her retirement, very interesting situation. In your talk, you said she literally rewrote the retirement script, which is an interesting phrase. What did you mean by that? Well... As opposed to Johnny Unitas and Joe Namath and Willie Mays and Babe Ruth, you know, athletes who weren't able to monetize themselves in the way that I think in our modern day, we feel like they should have been able to, you know, Serena's different. So Babe Ruth and Willie Mays, they were all subject to the reserve rule and they could never become free agents and, and, and go on the open market. Athletes, even great ones like Unitas and well, Namath was starting to change the script and tap into this idea that athletes could be corporate spokespeople. And certainly Babe Ruth did, did this too. But none of these people made hundreds of millions of dollars like Serena has. Serena has maximized her name, image, and likeness, as we as we call it now when we talk about, about college athletes. And so she was able to walk away on her terms. You know, she made the announcement in a Vogue magazine cover story, complete with these super glamorous photos of her on the beach, some of them with her daughter, Olympia. I was disappointed when she retired. I wanted her to stick it out and get to Margaret Court's record. I think it's very possible she would have done that, but I guess she she felt, look, she is undeniably the greatest women's tennis player of all time. She's playing in a much different era than Margaret Court, even though Margaret Court has one more Grand Slam title than Serena. Serena is the best women's tennis player, certainly. But yeah, the word she used, Stephen, was I'm evolving out of tennis. You know, she, she's got that brand. Serena's going to be okay. Serena's going to be around. Serena's not going to fade away like Johnny Yu did, you know, after his days with the San Diego Chargers. We're going to see a lot of Serena moving forward, a lot of Roger Federer moving forward. I hate to break it to you, Stephen. We're going to see a lot of Tom Brady moving forward. You're going to have a hard time watching football without having Tom Brady telling you what's going on on the field. Although I, I just checked, he's still retired. Matt, thank you so much for doing this. I love talking sports with you. Thanks again for doing this. Thank you, Stephen. 
Thanks for joining us here at One Day University. Sign up at our website, onedayu.com, to become a member and access over 700 full-length video lectures from the world's finest professors. You can also download our app. There you can learn more about today's episode and watch UNC professor Matt Andrews' lecture on athletes that stayed too long, as well as his talks on the Olympics, the future of sports, and more. Join us next time when we talk about the unbreakable bond between humans and dogs. The one that surprises me is that 94% of dog owners consider their dog a part of the family. I'm like, who are the 6% of people who do not consider their dog a part of their family? One Day University is a production of iHeart Podcasts and School of Humans. If you're enjoying the show, leave a review in your favorite podcast app. You can also check out other Curiosity Podcasts to learn about history, pop culture, true crime, and more. School of Humans. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Now that spring is here, it's time to focus on self-care and revitalize your personal care routine. Now through March 26, head in store, shop for all your favorite personal care essentials, and earn four times rewards points. Shop for items like Crest Toothpaste, Secret Deodorant, Old Spice Deodorant, or Gillette Razors. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details.